What is good what is singing? Good, good singing for me is does not depend on style. If the singer, if it's a healthy voice, if the singing is free and meaningful to that singer, if they are expressing themselves with their voice, then that is good singing. I do health is important for me, and it's probably because of my age. But I can still I can still out sing a lot of my eighteen year olds, and I say to them, and they say, "How can you do that at your age?" And I go, "I know how to play my instrument." Mm-hmm. So really my my philosophy is function understand the function and then you've got function and style you marry the two it's a really good marriage and it lasts for a long time but if you just go for style or you just go for function then you then that's probably end up in divorce this is a voice a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher. This is a voice. Hello and welcome to This is a Voice Season 6, Episode 9. The podcast where we get vocal about voice. I'm Jeremy Fisher. And I'm Dr. Gillian Kays. And today we have with us our very dear friend and colleague, Dr. Irene Bartlett. So shall we say good day or good evening, Irene? Just good day. Good day. Okay. Good day, Irene. I want to try and get this right. You are Associate Professor and Head of Contemporary Voice at Griffith University, which is also the Queensland Conservatorium. You are Head of Pedagogy and Head of Jazz, and you're running a Master's in Vocal Pedagogy there amongst the teachers. Um, yeah, I'm the head of jazz voice because it's where it's a it's a, an umbrella term. It's umbrella, sorry, program, and the singers are the biggest cohort within the jazz area. But we're all under the one umbrella. So, in other words, our the singers are the vocal instrument in the band. That's yeah. how they're treated. So they have to yes. do everything that the um, musicians do. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had the pleasure of seeing those classes in action, we've been which there. is amazing. I tell you where I'd like to go next, which is interesting, I hope. And this is going to be a bit contentious for some of our listeners, I'm going to say, that, you know, some people are now saying we no longer need to use these labels of CCM. And I'm not going to say classical, I'm going to say Western lyric music. And that to use the different labels is divisive. Mm-hmm. Tell me why you think, because I think you do think, why do we still need to differentiate between these types of music? Because the musics differentiate themselves. Your ears tell you that you are listening to something different. And I'm, that's even within contemporary, we don't have to call it CCM if people don't want to call it that, contemporary commercial music, Jeanette Levetri's term. It just was a nice, at the time, it gave us something to hang around, whereas before it had been, you know, the pejorative non-classical, which is always a bit of a downer. So, um, but, you know, call it contemporary music, call it popular music. I don't care what people call it, but basically within contemporary music, there are so many styles and the listening audience knows the difference. Yes. They know if they're listening to rock or R&B or jazz or pop or blues or dance or house or electronic music, electronica, whatever they call it, techno. There's so many different styles. And then if you look at classical, you've got so many different styles within classical as well. Oh. Oh. But the big difference is 
that line where classical appears to be more, shall we say, sung in the, the legato line and the melodies carrying through and it's all about melody and in contemporary it's not about those things. Mm. So for me, we have to, we can't just say it's all, well, sorry, we can, it's all music and God help us. I, I just wish that all young singers listen to all music, mm. but but that's not the case. And so if you if you play some of the like heavy metal stuff or rap to someone who's only ever trained in classical, it's like nails on a blackboard and vice versa, exactly the same. If you play high-end opera to, uh-huh. to someone who's never, they, they go, oh, my God, they're screaming. I think they are different. I think they're different. And therefore we need to say that. We've said this for years, mm. that you have different goals. Uh, you mm. have different voice productions. You have different situations. You different have performing environment, for heaven's sake. One is acoustic and the other is largely non-acoustic. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and also th- different band, different instrumentation, different mm. things that you're w- singing with or competing against. And, the, you know, the reason that contemporary, com- and I'm going to use the word commercial because it's what earns money and what, what earns money on streaming and recordings as well as live, but basically the reason that singers have to and I ban my singers from not using it. They have to use a microphone. Even they can they practice all their scales, they practice all their actual technical work off mic. But the minute they get on to a song, that I put them on mic, even in my studio. And the reason being, I don't want them to oversing. And mm. what happens is the minute you bring in all those electronic instruments, we know that basically, and especially with recorded music, it's all compressed into that around that two kilohertz range where it hits the ears the best, but that's just where the voice lives. So you get on a stage with a whole lot of electronic instruments with, without, if you're not careful, you will start to constrict, to hear yourself better, to yell. So by having a PA, having fallback, that stops that happening. And that's very different from classical singing. I very much appreciate that classical singers sing over an orchestra. That's a huge amount of sound. But again, if being boring with voice science, but if you study, if you look at a spectrogram of two, a contemporary singer and a classical singer, you'll see that their formats are very different. They gather very differently, cluster very differently. And, and that's because the contemporary singer doesn't need to maintain across the top of the orchestra. But once the orchestra sound starts to diminish, the classical singer can also follow that down. Whereas a contemporary singer, that never diminishes. Electronic instruments just stay there. <laughs> So it's a very different, very That's different thing. Really yes. fascinating. I mean, it's great for me to have that explained. And I think it's also really useful for teachers who are because so many teachers that we work with are working with contemporary styles, because mm. that's what people want to sing now. Mm. That at some point you need to be working with the microphone and you need to be working with a sound system. If you don't, this is a problem I, I see. We've got a lot of contemporary, good contemporary teachers now. We've got contemporary studios. But if you never put your students onto a PA and they've got to go out and do a gig and the first thing they do is put them onto a microphone, then they'll oversing which means then the sound technician or that might be someone in the band or it might be someone out the front on a desk will immediately turn them down. Mm. And so therefore it becomes more and more detrimental to their vocal health to have to, they're constantly trying to push across the top of all this electronic music. If you get singers used to PA very early in the piece, and so I used to do it with my little babies in that performance school, we'd have what we called mic time. 
and they it was a treat. They got rostered on and they could get up and sing on the microphone, which is very exciting for them. But it was a way of showing them that once you're on a microphone, you have to let that do some work. You don't have to sing really loud, you know, mm. um, so you can actually save your voice. Because I say if you're a gig singer, you're singing for three, four, five hours. I still get annoyed very annoyed actually when I hear someone say, oh, but contemporary singers can use a microphone. They don't really need to sing. I'm sorry. And what a PA does, what a sound system or as it's called live sound reinforcement, what it actually does is just amplifies what you're putting into it. So we're not talking about in the studio. Exactly. I teach my singers, I teach them um, a lot a cappella actually. I want them to be trust their own ear and be able to pitch and basically be able to adjust to what's going on around them. Um, but it's not its not about, with belters, it's all, they always think it's about singing bigger, but we don't want the, the all that um, pressure behind the vocal fold. We want resonance yeah. to do the work. So, you know, yes. so you put a microphone and all of a sudden they go, oh, it's too loud. And I go, well, dial it down. Yeah. Oh, turn the PA down. No. No. <laughs> it, stays, it stays where it is. You have to adjust. You're yeah. working too hard. Yeah, exactly. But but this is really interesting because for me, it's the same in musical theatre training because how many musical theatre performances in the world now are not amplified? They're all amplified. They're all. all, Even the the rep country, even the school, high schools. Mm. Yeah. So why are you not teaching people on a microphone? Because oh. they're going to be singing and people are going, I must sing louder. I must sing louder because whoever yeah. it is sings so loud. And I'm going, stop doing it's that. to project first acoustically. Of all, it's, it, it's, it drives well, us potty. It's nonsense. But first of all, you're doing eight shows a week and two rehearsals possibly. Yeah. And yeah. you are screaming your socks off and you're going to run out of stamina. And frankly, exactly as you said, mm. the sound engineer at the back is just going to go too loud to turn it down. And it's a massive... And what a waste of energy. A massive vocal oh. load. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I just think that, you know, I see, like you guys, I work with a lot of professional performers when they when the shows are touring Australia and they come into Brisbane. The, it's, it'll be the musical director or the director of the show will send them to me and say, can you get them ready? They're, they're doing a, a cover at the moment, but we want we need them on stage. Um, or the singer, the, you know, the lead's leaving us and we need them to take over. And you've got six, five or six lessons to get them <laughs> to that point. And, and honestly, I, my strategy is to listen to them. Always listen first. I listen to all my singers first. I don't put them through exercises. I just listen to them sing. Yeah. So I can make some sort of judgment call about what, it is they want silent red <laughs> but what they want to do and what they what they are doing and I'm looking for the good in what they do I'm always looking for the good in what someone's doing and then go okay so that's good so how can I enhance that what can I do and with music theatre singers is the first thing I do is tell them you know to stop pinning me to the wall mm-hmm. there's only me in the room I don't I need you to tell me a story I'm interested in your story I'm not interested in the fact that you can sing loud yes. Lee yeah yes. so yeah um, I think there's been I mean this is us being contentious I, I think there's sort of been a, a path that people have gone down in musical theatre particularly in the UK and I think maybe you're experiencing the same thing in Australia that I think needs a bit of a flight correction, and I, I really hope that flight correction is going to come. I think that my my concern, in a way, is that they it's a very it's being touted as a very limited palette. 
of sounds, mm. which is you must belt, you must legit, and you must twang the hell out of everything. Yeah, Here's my mix. Here's that. Um, and I'm going, you stick that amount of twang down a microphone, and it's horrible. Because the, the those upper mm-hmm. frequencies, those those um, upper partials, just actually take over. And um, so I'm, I'm with you. It's just so easy. So with the pedagogy program I run, we get singers, we get everything from classical music, theatre, pop, rock, we don't care. They come in, they want to teach, and they might want to only teach in their area. They might want to just teach rock or teach. We make them do everything. And the reason is I say to them, you need to know what your student feels like so you are the student in these schools. We give them one-to-one lessons. That's quite rare in, in pedagogy programs. So everything they learn in theory in lectures, they have to put on their own voice um, and it and includes different styles. The ones that are the hardest to turn around, to be honest with you, music theatre trained singers because everything wants to be that super, super twang, high, higher larynx so that get you know not letting the larynx just sit in neutral it's just it's all about getting that everything pingy and forward and mm-hmm. and I love all of that we need that but I always say to them right now can we bring that back you know can we do how about we take all the twang out well that's impossible for them but let's take all of that ring twang out and sing with a really let's all sing with a very bad cold and mm-hmm. they think I'm nuts but over the course of the program, it's the music theatre kids. Gosh, I shouldn't say kids are all adults. <laughs> Some of them are in their 50s. But all those students are basically amazed, amazed at the fact that there's more than one sound, that they, one tonal colour, one, you know, we we, we get them to try and um, experiment with timbre, timbre mm-hmm. colours um, and not just get stuck into that bright sound. But mm-hmm. I'm with you, Jeremy. I think that it's sort of become the, the demand of the industry. Yeah, the I thing of it, industry sounds. But there, hang on, there's a difficulty, mm. which is when you just have that relentless ping, mm. in frankly, whatever style, mm. you lose humanity. Oh, and you the, can't hear the voice. Yes, you, you can't, can't hear, hear the person. The singers, you can't, can't hear the person, yeah. you can't hear the voice. Yeah, I want to hear the person. Everybody's voice is individual. And yes, EQ and all of the, that, you know, sometimes removes that. And I, I understand that's part of the genre in certain situations. It's not particularly for me. I really love individual voices. That what That is what excites me. But and we all know when we see someone that's really a performer that's really exciting and just, especially as a teacher, you forget to analyse. That's yeah. when I know yeah. I'm hearing that person, that mm-hmm. I'm not stopped thinking about what they're doing and I'm just hearing what yes. hearing them. Mm-hmm. And generally it's a lot to do with storytelling, of course, and the ability to be in the moment. But, yeah, I just I just agree with you totally. I just think that um, unfortunately you've got the, the same thing happening with you rock singers and that where they're just told to yell and uh, constrict and whatever and mm-hmm. all they're doing is having a very short career where actually you know i've taught heavy metal singers who are fabulous singers mm-hmm. but they know how to use effects mm-hmm. you know just use those things as effects and and we do have the beauty of a microphone so we can fool around a bit with effects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we are talking variety we're not we're not saying don't make the noises mm-hmm. but we are talking variety mm-hmm. of some kind oh look if you're in um legally blonde then you're going to make that twangy. And if you're doing an American Bronx accent, of course you're going to be there. But mm. we don't really want to hear that if you're doing Sunday in the Park with George. Or, you know, I just don't want to hear that. We often say to people, if we're talking about twang, my twang isn't your twang. 
<laughs> I love that. Really know how to do, you know, how to see something on a spectrogram. There will be slight differences because yes. everybody's voice is individual. Yeah. So we're not talking about pasting on a color. So, you know, if we're taking that example of singing L in Legally Blonde and we're going for that um, you know, those sort of accent patterns, if you like, or dialect patterns and the mm. color of the voice. Mm. I still want to hear the singer inside that voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just want to I'm hear the colour. No, I, but I want to hear a, a palette of colour. You, if you're painting always in oils or you're always painting in pastels, you're limiting your ability to, you know, what, what happens in between? Can you, can we, and just use that as an example, but is, does every colour have to be heavy? Does every color have to be white? No, you can morph your way through, and a lot of that comes from the emotional connection. I always find too, if they're telling a really honest story. I think it's really interesting, and in in a way, it's why we separate musical theatre out from pretty much every other genre. There are some, there are certain. Look, she's nodding. Everybody, yeah. please go and watch please. YouTube and see Irene <laughs> nodding. Okay, so in most contemporary commercial styles, you are you're praised for a particular, I'm going to say it's like a vocal look. You're praised mm. for being within that genre, within that style, within that niche. Is that fair? Yeah, and you basically if you're in pop or any of the really commercial styles, mm. you have to have, it's your, it's the, it is idiosyncratic elements of that you bring to your voice that are generally a reflection of personality or culture or upbringing or it's that rawness that Adele sings with. When you hear her talk, that's her Cockney accent. That's that's in there. You know, she's not putting that on. And basically, someone who's got a, you know a, a much more refined and I don't mean that in a good or bad way, but a more balanced registration for instance you don't I don't want to hear them trying to do what Adele does I just think in, in pop you've got to have that thing that makes you different from everybody else it, you've got to be the new I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say but, the signature yeah, elements hang on it? a minute though yeah. because there I, I in my head it's two separate things because yeah, there is but, there's a genre or a niche a style niche within which you live because that's it, all of those people who love that niche will then buy your album I'm with you. you it's not to have those elements that tell you it's that style. That's what we said about people having a name for it. Yes. You've got to name it because they, they recognise it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And within that niche, you've got to have something that is distinctive enough without going yes. inside that niche. Now, where it gets really interesting, and this does happen, is where you get somebody bringing niches together that are completely unrelated. And you go, wow, that's almost like a circus act where you go, mm. I've never heard that before. And mm. that becomes really interesting. Exactly. The thing and is, I'm hearing that less and less and less, Jeremy. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, this is the thing because it's it's commercial. I think that what's happening now is that we've gone back to, like in the '60s, you had formulaic bands like the Monkees, where they were just it was divided, and it's almost like we're getting into this formula thing again in the 2000s, where you have to fit into that box, so you have to do those things, and I think that's a shame because what's happened is there are. We're sort of going back to the future here, but there, I, there are no really pure musics anymore. It's everything's a fusion. Mm -hmm. So you're usually a pop rock country. You know, you could be all three. You could have there. It's, there are singers that I work with in Australia who are bringing a lot of classical elements into their pop singing. Yes. So you, you, there's, there's no clear definitions anymore, and it, it's fusion music. 
It's like you bring with it what you've listened to and I guess your influences. You bring your influences with you. I think what's so interesting, Um, I totally agree with that. mm. What I think is so interesting about musical theatre as a separate category is that the job changes every six months. Yes. And therefore you are singing Legally Blonde and then you're singing Phantom of the Opera and Mm. then you're singing Yes. And then you're singing whatever. you, You literally have to create a new palette when you change yes. jobs and often you are singing performances that night and rehearsing in the day with a completely different mm. palette and that, I think that makes it unique really because if I'm thinking about and you I'm glad that you said when you're looking at western lyric music you know what's often called classical it isn't just one genre mm. it's an umbrella term sure but I trained as a classical singer and if I was singing something operatic say 19th century opera and I I was singing Handel and I was singing Schubert. There's a common thread in the voice production. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, obviously, you know, we we could have a whole other conversation about which elements of voice production are common and where do they diverge? After all, a voice is a voice at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's very different for a musical theatre singer. This is another discussion. Mm. Yeah, I haven't had that discussion. I can say to your listeners, we haven't had this discussion. But in my pedagogy program, I say that you have, if you're talking about genre, you really have the classical genre, you have the contemporary genre, and in the middle you've got music theatre because it spans both. Yes. And and you're right, Jeremy, those singers, we're asking more and more, especially yes. the females, that yes. they can just morph from one to the other, and what a huge ask. So, yeah, I think, again, it's not something we've discussed, but I totally agree with you. Mm. And I think there are, there are I, I, I've spoken to other colleagues at conferences and things, and we all seem to be coming to this realisation, if it's not mm. a conclusion. Mm. I mean, Jeannie Lavetri said it decades ago, that it's a unique world. And I was so pleased to see um, recently published Elizabeth Benson's book, Yes, she yes. talks in the introduction about how musical theatre it's it kind of forms a bridge between the two, and I you know you've got to walk across both sides if you're in musical theatre. And again, we're back to the word commercial. The reason yeah. the reason those things are having to do that is that then Broadway needs to if you're talking about Broadway theatre or Drury Lane theatre, it doesn't matter that you've got to get people in the theatre, mm-hmm. and we know what's happening with opera and we, and by the way, jazz, my love. Is that I call it the high end of contemporary, and you've got the high end of classical. You've basically got this polarization where you've got. I went to a jazz concert with my sh- showcase of all the students in the jazz course, and they were mil- I mean, these are 19, 17, 18, 19 year old, 20 year old at the most uh, players, and they're doing this amazing technical stuff. They, but the audience didn't understand a lot of what you could tell. I was watching the audience mm. and. The, you know, they didn't understand a lot of the improvised music and they lost interest. We have to realise that there are differences and we have to be able to realise that the majority of people who are going to be working in our industry, the music industry, are going to be people who can either cover star album, star singers, mm-hmm. and it's all about singers these days, whoever hears instrumental music anymore. When I was growing up, all the big bands would have instrumental. Cliff Richard's band always had solo albums out, you know. Yeah. Uh, sorry, a band albums, yeah. But you don't hear any of that anymore. It's all about the singer. And I just think that we've, I think it's harder and harder for teachers to really understand the instrument 
they're working with, to understand the personality of the person they're working with, to understand the goals and the aims of the person they're working with. It's not as easy as saying, we're going to teach you to teach you how to bridge your two main registers. We're going to teach you how to add resonance. We're going to, it's not, it's always got to them being taken into style Mm. and go, what? All of those things are important and they're, I call them the pillars of technique. You you must teach people how to breathe for singing, but for singing in the style they want to sing. I was going to say, which, which particular style of singing yeah, would you like to breathe exactly. for? Absolutely. It's exactly. like, yeah, exactly. if yeah. you use flow phonation and you try to belt, you're oh, in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, we are going to have to wrap this up because I'm, oh. I'm loving this conversation, but I have a question for you which is actually quite a big one, which is what is good singing? Thanks, Jeremy. What is good what is singing? Good, good singing for me is does not depend on style. If the singer, if it's a healthy voice, if the singing is free and meaningful to that singer, if they are expressing themselves with their voice, then that is good singing. Health is important for me, and it's probably because of my age. But I can still I can still out sing a lot of my eighteen year olds, and I say to them, and they say, "How can you do that at your age?" And I go, "I know how to play my instrument. My philosophy is function, understand the function, and then you've got function and style. You marry the two. It's a really good marriage, and it lasts for a long time. But if you just go for style or you just go for function." Then, you, then that's probably end up in divorce. In that your voice won't just won't give up the ghost through age, through change of uh, you know. I've sung through lots of different eras, and the reason I could sing for fifty four years, fifty three years, fifty four years continuously was because I was flexible enough to change. My voice could change to the style, mm-hmm. and people want to listen to you. So yeah, I think it's good singing is healthy. We use the word free, we band it around all the time, but unconstricted, okay, and emotionally connected. And this, the singer looks like they're really enjoying telling me the story they're telling and I don't care what their tone quality is as long as it's a nice free sound. Yeah. I mean, this has been so fascinating, but we are going to have to stop here because we're definitely going to bring you back next time. Mm. There is so much to talk about. For the moment, thank you very much, Irene, and we'll see you next time. Bye. See you later. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher.